Heavenly Father, um, we come before you this morning thankful um, for who you are, um, that you are a holy, righteous, and just God who is also gracious, uh, merciful, and a redeeming God. We come before you this morning in uh, various conditions, some of us happy, some of us covering up our sadness, some of us burdened by our sins, some of us forgetting that we are sinful and coming in self-righteous and prideful. And so, God, we ask that you meet uh, each and every one of us uh, in whatever condition we are found this morning through the proclamation of your word. We pray that your spirit uh, would enlighten our minds and change our hearts that we may be conformed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus, that we will, as a church, be a city on a hill, that we will be salt and preserve the world that you have given to us to have dominion over and to steward. Lord, be with us as we dive into your word, and we are so thankful um, for all that you have done for us and all you will continue to do for us according to the promises and the riches of your grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So good morning. As uh, Dan said, my name is uh, Jordan Washington, and I'm one of the Timothy uh, members here at Central Hope Church, along with Blake Reap, who is uh, receiving seminary training uh, to be ordained in our denomination some sometime down down the road. Blake's a lot closer to finishing than I am, so I'm I'm looking at about two two years out. Well, he's got you know a couple months, so uh, very excited for for him, uh, and and that is uh, who I am. And so as as always, it is an honor and a privilege uh, to get to share God's word with you uh, this morning. And so we're actually going to continue our study of the book of Acts by looking at Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1 and going to verse 23. Uh, but before we dive directly into our passage, let us kind of uh, consider some things so that we can rightly understand what this passage is trying to communicate to us, right? And so uh, we understand that in the beginning, God created everything, then there was a fall, and God promised Eve that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. We then see that God calls a man named Abraham out of the land of the Chaldeans and makes a covenant promise to him that he would be the father of many nations and that he would bless his descendants. Then when we get to the end of Genesis, we see that the nation of Israel is taken into captivity in Egypt. And they pray to the Lord who uh, called their father Abraham. God hears their prayers and then redeems them and calls them out of the land of Egypt. He then establishes what is called the Mosaic Covenant with the Israelite people, giving them the Ten Commandments on top of Mount Sinai. And here is the context by which we find ourselves in the New Testament. You see, one of the things that we must remember and that we must consider is that the Bible is originally an Eastern book. Uh, it is not a book that was written in Western civilization. So we have to consider what is the mind of the Jew when we are reading certain passages of Scripture. For today, we are, in fact, reading about a certain Jew. And it is the, the, the cultural biases that we will see being manifest in the confusion of the Jerusalem church. The confusion that we see amongst the Jewish Christians in the book of Acts leads us to this very pivotal moment. And understand that this particular passage is of great importance to us in the 21st century. And so keep those things in mind as we're reading through Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 23. So now there was a man 
at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. When the angel was speaking to him and had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who uh, were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. On the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the household or on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, Lord, by four corners to the ground. And there were in all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. A voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what this vision which he had seen might be, behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. But get up and go downstairs and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Peter went down to meet the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to this house and hear a message from you. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. This is the word of the Lord. So in the classic movie, The Wizard of Oz, a young girl named Dorothy and her little dog named Toto are swept up in a twister and find themselves embarking on a new journey. Along the way, Dorothy encounters new people, people who she could never have imagined she would have been in community with. In the beginning, one tin man and one scarecrow and as Dorothy and Tin Man and Scarecrow follow the yellow brick road, they find themselves in the woods. Skeptical of whether or not to continue to follow this path, they deliberate amongst themselves about what they will encounter if they continue into the woods, for they are unsure where their path will lead them. The men in our text this morning are on a similar journey. Neither of them knows for sure where their visions will take them if they follow the Lord's directions. Thus, the title of our sermon this morning is Bacon and Seafood and Gentiles, Oh My. <laughs> and so before we dissect, dissect our text today, let us review events that occurred in the previous chapter and set the stage for what God is revealing to Peter, Jewish Christians, and by consequence, us in the 21st century. For it is here that the stage is actually set and God's intentions are foreshadowed. Peter is reintroduced on the heels of Paul's conversion 
and he heals Ananias, displaying Christ's power over disease in the same way that Christ himself did when he walked the earth. Peter is then summoned to Joppa, a city nearby after Tabitha, a disciple, becomes ill and dies. There, Christ, through Peter, displays once more his power over death. Peter then is housed by Simon the Tanner in Joppa. And this is a point that we don't want to miss, for it is no small thing that Peter was housed by a tanner in Joppa. Tanners were considered to be unclean by Jews because a tanner dealt with dead animals, which was an activity that was declared unclean by God in Leviticus 11. And so if you're unsure what a tanner is, a tanner is a person who, who skins animals, dead animals, and uses their hide and makes clothing and various things out of them. And so this was the job of a tanner, and this activity specifically was deemed unclean by God. And so this we must consider when thinking about the importance of chapter 10. Jews limited themselves in their engagement with Gentiles because of the ceremony of law of Moses. You see, in the mind of the Jew, there are three gradations of the nation of Israel. We have the holy, we have the clean, and we have the unclean. So for Peter, it is no small thing to stay with a tanner who is ritually unclean. And so our passage today reveals two things to us. First, who are the covenant people of God? The second is how are we to view the people who are outside the covenant community? And so we have a problem in the church today, a problem that our text is going to answer for us. You see, many have forgotten uh, what the church's purpose actually is. Oftentimes, because of our education, because of our podcasts, because of our books, we think that we can judge who is clean and unclean in the sight of God. We in our pride often forget that we are the Gentiles, but we act as if we were the Jews, much like how the Jews or those who are called the circumcision did not associate themselves with the Gentiles or those who are called the uncircumcision group, avoid being, uh, excuse me, group, uh, avoid those who are ritually unclean. We too, who consider ourselves to be clean, avoid those who we deem to be unclean. We tend to think of ourselves as rightly belonging to the people of God, deserving the salvation that we have received and expecting that God will bless me and mine. Instead of sharing the gospel with our neighbors, we consider them unclean and do not associate ourselves with them. Sometimes this is for fear of being considered unclean by culture war standards. We consider those people who are currently outside of the covenant community as unclean, and association with them would likewise make us unclean. So we avoid doing the very thing that God has commanded of us, namely to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But as we will see in our text, God has decreed that the gospel must go to all ends of the earth, to all kinds of people. And praise God for this truth. For another thing that we tend to forget is that America is not God's chosen nation. We are, in fact, Gentiles, to whom Paul says in Ephesians 2, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by which is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You see, this passage is deeply important 
for us because we are the Gentiles who are being admitted into the household of God in this passage. We often forget that we are saved by grace through faith, and this not of ourselves, it is a gift of God that no man can boast. And so instead of imitating Christ, we often imitate the prophet Jonah, who upon being commanded by the Lord to go preach the good news to Nineveh, he fled and went the other direction. Further like Jonah, we become angry when God shows mercy to those we have deemed to be our enemies. We love the imprecatory Psalms, desiring mercy, grace, and prosperity for ourselves and justice, wrath, and destruction for those whom we deem unclean. I do believe all of us, if we are honest, need to see with fresh eyes the glories of the gospel and that God intends for the gospel to be shared indiscriminately. And so our chapter begins by introducing Cornelius, a centurion in Caesarea, and the city of Caesarea is named after Caesar Augustus. Cornelius, who is a Gentile, is described as a devout man who feared God along with his household. He gave alms to the people and prayed continually to the God of Israel. And so many scholars agree that the phrase feared God is used to denote the particular status of Cornelius. It was, uncom it was not uncommon that Pharisees would proselytize Gentile people. And so proselytes were Gentiles who had actually converted fully to Juda Judaism observing the Mosaic law and receiving the sign of circumcision. But however, this is not Cornelius' status. Uh, he is not a proselyte who has fully accepted uh, Judaism. However, it is clear from the text that Cornelius, Cornelius uh, very likely went to the synagogue so that he could hear uh, teachings from the Old Testament. Further, Cornelius gave alms or gifts specifically to the poor, and he did this specifically to Jewish people. And so he gave alms to relieve the Jewish people who were in need. Further, he prayed to God continually. Lastly, unlike those in the culture in which he surely lived, Cornelius, uh, who prayed to God alone, he did this uh, continually. He did not pray as other Gentiles did, nor spend time worshiping false deities. Cornelius was a Gentile who prayed to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And so we learn from this text that Cornelius was an upright man according to the knowledge that he possessed at that time. It is that man that God chose to reveal more of his intentions through the gospel, his intentions to expand the covenant community to include Gentiles. And so about the ninth hour when Cornelius went up to pray, an angel appeared to him and said, that your prayers have been heard, Cornelius, in this vision, uh, and send men to Joppa and locate Simon Peter, who is staying with one Simon the Tanner near the sea. And so we see in this vision that first, God directs Cornelius to an evangelist. And so Jesus could have revealed himself to Cornelius in the exact same way that he revealed himself to Paul in Acts chapter 9. However, what we see is that Jesus is setting a standard for how men are to be saved. You see, although Cornelius is a prime candidate to receive the gospel, he still needs to hear the gospel message. You see, this is in accordance with what Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear someone without them preaching? 
And so this is the standard that Jesus is setting here, is that for men to be saved, they must hear the gospel message. Someone must preach the good news to them. In response to this vision, Cornelius acts accordingly, and he sends a dispatchment of men to find one Simon Peter. And so while Cornelius received a vision from God the previous day, Peter is actually receiving a complimentary vision the next day. However, Peter's vision is a lot less clear. The text tells us that he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. He saw the heavens opened, and something like a great sheet was descending, being, uh, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and creatures of the, of the air. And there came a voice and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter responded by saying, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times and that thing was taken up at once to heaven. I'll give Peter one thing. You know for certain that if he rejects something, it's gonna take him three times before he affirms it. (laughs) So to understand Peter's resistance to eating certain animals, we must look at Leviticus 11. The Jewish people were resolute in not doing what God had previously forbidden. And so we see this attitude also in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, where Daniel refuses to defile himself by eating the king's food. And so in Leviticus 11, God declares certain animals are clean and others are unclean for the people of Israel. To be sure, the book of Leviticus is a book about God's holiness and how the people of Israel may dwell safely in God's presence. In the same way that the sun and its brilliance is both good and dangerous, God's holiness is both good and dangerous if he is approached in an unworthy manner. Yahweh is the source of life. The tabernacle had been established as a dwelling place for God to be in the presence of his people. Now Israel is tasked with upholding the sanctity of that tabernacle in Leviticus. Thus the people could not enter the presence of God in any kind of way. They must be clean or pure to be in the presence of God safely. To be clean required certain rituals and ceremonies. Echoing in the back of the mind of the Jews would certainly be the deaths of Nadab and Abihu. Both these sons of Aaron offered strange fire to the Lord that the Lord did not command them, and they perished because of it. The Lord then tells Aaron to distinguish between which animals are clean to be eaten and handled, and which animals are unclean. So certain animals, uh, like uh, animals that we, or excuse me, like animals like pigs, uh, were deemed to be unclean. And so Leviticus 11, and the Lord spoke to Moses, and Aaron saying to them, speak to the people of Israel, saying, these are the living things that you may eat among all the animals of the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud, among these animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those animals that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. Not too upset about that one. (laughs) And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, now this one I was upset about. (laughs) That's right. Because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, it is unclean to you. 
You shall not eat any of their flesh and shall not touch any of their carcasses for they are unclean to you. And the list of animals continues, uh, including other animals that crawl upon the ground, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. All these animals were declared unclean and were thus unable to be eaten by the people of Israel, nor were their carcasses to be touched uh, by the people of Israel. And so it is not necessarily sinful for the people of Israel to be ritually unclean. What was sinful, however, was being unclean and being in the presence of God. And this is the point of Leviticus the entire book of Leviticus. This is the context of Peter's three-time rejection of getting up and killing and eating certain kinds of foods. As Paul states in Romans 9, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever, Amen. It is this context that Peter finds himself naturally perplexed by this vision as anyone would be. We have the benefit of knowing more of God's plan than Peter did at the time of having this vision. For starters, God has declared that animals are clean. Can I get an amen from somebody? Because I don't know about you, but I love a good strip of bacon at Sunday morning brunch. This is mightily significant for the Jews as well. For now, there is nothing hindering them from engaging with the Gentile people. Shared meals have always been a sign of friendship. Even a sign of two parties entering into a covenant relationship with one another. But how can this be done if the people of whom you are engaging only offer foods that are unclean to you? The Lord, by declaring all foods clean, has broken down the food barrier between the Gentile and the Jew in his church. By this, but this is only half of the good news. As much as I love food, and I'm sure that there are others who love good food as well, there is more to this vision that we need to consider. As stated to Jews, Gentiles were also considered unclean by their general lifestyle and the foods that they ate. God is showing Peter that the covenant doors are being opened. No longer will the Gentiles be excluded from the covenants. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, those who are considered unclean are now clean. Those who are far have been brought near. And Cornelius' men are on their way to find Peter so that Cornelius can hear this good news of glad tidings. And so while Peter is in the state of confusion... Cornelius' men arrived, and the Holy Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go up, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Upon seeing Peter, the men respond by saying, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the entire Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Peter responds by welcoming them in and having them as his guests. The next day, Peter with them, or Peter went with them to Caesarea and proclaimed the good news to Cornelius. Peter would then understand who the covenant people are. Peter would then understand that the kingdom of God was being expanded to include the G Gentiles through the gospel. 
He says in verse 34, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is a very important moment in redemptive history. And by redemptive history, we mean that all of human history is moving toward a decisive event. All of human history is God redeeming the people that he has chosen for himself to one day enjoy the fullness of his presence when Christ returns. This passage is very important for us because this passage in the book of Acts answers the Gentile problem. Uh, I, won't, I won't go too much into it because these, these are passages that we'll, that we'll look at later down, down the road, but Jerusalem has an entire council that convenes concerning the Gentile issue, whether or not they were going to require Gentiles to observe the Mosaic ceremonial code to be entered into the church. And again, this is, this is very applicable for us because if this problem had not been solved, that means for all of us, we would have had to observe the Mosaic ceremonial code to be entered into the church of Jesus Christ. And so this passage is very good news for us, that God has extended the kingdom of God to us, that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we in the 21st century share in the promises that have been declared to the nation of Israel. Dorothy, Tin Man, and Scarecrow skip into the forest, uh, frightened at the very thought of encountering or engaging a lion, a tiger, or a bear. Just as Peter could not imagine the idea of eating certain animals or engaging with certain Gentile people, little did Dorothy and friends know that their path would not only bring them into contact with a lion, but that lion would join their ranks. That lion would become a part of their community. In the same way, we do not know for sure where the Lord is taking us. We do not know for sure who the Lord will put in our path. In the same way that we do not know those who God has chosen to be his children. But one thing we can be sure of from our text is that the gospel is for everyone. So, beloved, how then should we view the people who are outside the covenant community? Like Peter learned, we are not to call unclean what God has called clean. We see in our text that the gospel is for those who already belong to the covenant community and those who are outside the covenant community. We see in our text that the gospel is for the Jew and for the Greek. The gospel is for those who are clean, or rather consider themselves to be clean, and those who are unclean. The gospel is for the self-righteous and the obviously unrighteous. The gospel is for the sinner and the saint. The gospel is for the Republican and the Democrat. The gospel is for the left and the right. The gospel is for the Presbyterian and the Baptist. We see in our text that the gospel is for those who are near and to those who are far. We see in our text that the gospel is for those who are in the west and those who are in the east. We see that the gospel is for the American and the Russian. We see that the gospel is for the African and for the Asian. Friends, the kingdom of God is here. 
Christ is risen and reigning fully over all his creation. And thanks be to God that he has granted repentance through his son, Jesus Christ, to a people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. May we as the church be a people who fights for the souls of men. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come thankful that you have extended the promises of your son, uh, not just your people, Israel, but to us who are Gentiles as well. That we, through repentance and faith, get to share in all the promises that are yes and amen in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that as we go out into our weeks, that we would keep in mind that the gospel is for us and for those that you have put in our path. We pray that we would be courageous in sharing the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, with all those who are around us. That you would call people to be reconciled unto yourself and would expand even more your kingdom of God upon the earth in which we live as we await the blessed return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.